youth pastor, pastor would say, okay, if you are between the age of this and this and this gender, come on up, grab a hymn on coming up. And you could see the people that were scared, but I won't do that to you. First John, first John, but that is a good idea, pastor, don't you think? It is special. First John chapter three. My friend Sylvan is back here and she's, um, she's with us tonight. And her parents had to come too, I guess, but Sylvan's with us. And uh, she's been already amening the message and she's already getting a blessing. I appreciate that, Sylvan. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> 1 John chapter 3, verse number 1. 1 John 3, verse number 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Father, would you help us tonight to understand love better? It's a simple concept, or so we think. It's one we've often heard, we've sung about, even tonight, in passing, but Lord, help us to understand love. Would the word of God change us? Would the word of God motivate us? Would the word of God direct us? And Father, I pray that you'd help me to communicate clearly what it means that you love us. Would we not just get old? Would this not just get old in our thinking? Would we just not uh, relax? Would we be uh, once again excited about the incredible, wonderful, unconditional, sacrificial love of God? Would we see what that love should do in us? And would we be changed tonight through the preaching of your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Here we are talking about love. And 1 John is a unique book. If you've ever read through 1 John, you know that it's not written like Paul wrote Romans. Romans is very linear in its thinking and its logic. Very Western in some ways. Uh, very logical. It goes from sin all the way through salvation. It explains it very much in Western terms. First John, he kind of gets the, you almost get the idea that John is sitting in his rocking chair. And it's almost like grandpa, I realize it's inspired. It's almost like grandpa repeating some of the same stories. Have you ever, got, have you ever read First John? Like he just talked about that last chapter. Why is he talking about that again? Have you ever read that? And John is doing that on purpose. It's obviously inspired. But here's John, he's at the end of his life, the, the beloved apostle who knew Jesus Christ closely. And what great truths do you have for us, John? What deep, great, abiding truths do you have for the church, John? God is love. No, John, 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 I need something deeper than that. Abide in him, little children. Stay in him. Rest in him. You can have confidence. Don't love the world. And you have some of these same type ideas reoccurring in these few short chapters. In fact, if you're counting, the phrase love of God appears 13 times in the New Testament. Five of those are right here in the little book of 1 John. And love is one of the sub-themes. The love of God, what it did and what it's doing and what it should do. And let's be honest. I, two things come to mind when I hear the term love of God. Number one... What's there to know? I already know about the love of God. He loves me. He died for me. And if we're not careful, we can miss the incredible, unconditional, sacrificial love of God. We can pretend like, yeah, yeah, I've got that. I, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I, 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 God loved me. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful that he did. But yet, when you look at it in its context in 1 John specifically, and you see what it does, it is incredibly motivational. The second thing that comes to mind when I think of the love of God is I grew up in a great church. I'm very thankful for my church, my pastor, that, that I, my youth pastor are both incredible Bible preachers. In fact, they're sought after over the, all over the country. Very well known and very good at explaining the truth. We grew up in a great church and at the time I was growing up and still to this day, the church that I grew up in took a good stand on truth. And whether it was caught or taught, there was this almost... Perceived notion that, well, that church is just talking about the love of God, so they're kind of a weak, nilly need church and they don't really have anything. We believe in separation and holiness, and I do as well, and I'm sure you do as well. And yet, in saying that, unfortunately, we can come to the realization, and in our circle sometimes, we've 
inadvertently perhaps, downplayed the love of God. Because after all, some of the churches that do what they do in the name of love, we're going to talk about this, it's not love, and they compromise the gospel, they compromise truth, they compromise in many capacities. And so as a young man growing up who loved truth, who loved doctrine, who loved God's word, who believed God commands holiness, and he still does, and I still believe those things, I, became, I came to the impression that, well, if a church talks about love, certainly they can't be doctrinally correct. If a church emphasizes the love of God, then certainly they've got to be compromising on some issue. Because after all, we're, we're separationists. We've we're, we got standards and we're fundamental. And so I, in my mind, without even knowing it, begin to downplay and look down on the love of God. But aren't you thankful the Bible's there to correct our errors? And John, at the end of his life, what does he have to say? He's talking about love. Tonight, I want us to see first what love is. Secondly, what love does. We're going to see what love is. Secondly, we're going to see what love does. Look again with me in verse 1. We see this, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. The language really fails here. And John can't even use apt words to describe the love of God. Behold what manner of love, what kind of love, what, what, what capacity of love. And I would submit to you that love is, number one, incredible. Love is, number one, incredible. And if you're taking notes, this would be the sub-points under that. It's incredible in its quantity and quality. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to try to keep it simple for you. But it's incredible in its quantity. How many people do you love? How many people do you love? Well, you know, I love the church. But, you know, i got to be honest, I don't love everybody that I go to church with. Of course, we moved churches recently and we're still learning names, so I, I don't know names. So, but there is a sense I do love the church. And you here in this congregation, if this is your congregation, you love other people. But, you know, let's be honest, the people that you're close to is, is limited, Maybe a dozen, two dozen, three dozen people if you're a really loving person, but oftentimes it's just a handful. And sometimes it's not even our family members, right? We are limited in our loving capacity. How many of you are on social media? Yeah, I'm on social media with some of you, so I know you are. And I'm not picking on you. I'm not, I'm not preaching against it. Don't worry. Some of you are like, Is it? don't worry. How many friends do you have on your social media? 100, 200, 300. And some of those are friends from high school that you haven't seen in four decades. Or in my case, two, two decades, right? Are you really friends? Yeah, because if you saw them today, you would, you would have a conversation with them. But they're Facebook friends, if we could use that term. They're just Facebook friends. How many people do we actually love? And if we stop to think about it, we are actually pretty limited, you know, I enjoy interacting with people all over the country, and I have friends all over the country. We picked up conversation where we left off, but we haven't seen each other in, what, two years? Something like that? Three? Yeah, three years since you guys were at camp. It's hard to believe. Breck and Madison, I would call them friends, and hopefully they would call me friends. But we haven't seen each other in a while. He went with me to the Philippines six years ago, and uh, hopefully we'll go again soon uh, with some, some kids from his church as well. But honestly, my capacity to love and know people is limited because I'm limited and you're limited as well. We are incredibly limited in who we can love, but who does God love? God loves the world. Stop and think about that for a second. I can't do that. You can't do that. And I'll be honest, I don't even want to do that. There's people I don't want to love, but God loves them. There's ideology, there's philosophies, there's religions there that hate me. And I, I have difficulty, I'm just being honest, I have difficulty showing love to an imam who wants to kill me. Don't you? Yeah. But God doesn't. That, that's, that's astounding. Does anyone know how many people are alive today, right now, currently? 8.1 billion. That's a lot. It's a ton. We've been to Manila, and we've seen, uh, at, did we climb the hill and look over the, the city in the Hearst neighborhood? Do you remember doing that? Did we get to do that that year? It was a year after. It was a year after, okay. But there's a place we can go to. We can climb a hill just down the street from my friend's house, 
And we can look and we can see 17 million people up on the hill. You can't obviously see individual people, but you can see the city and 17 million people. And that's a lot of people, but that's nothing compared to 8.1 billion people. It's incredible. How can God love that? I don't know. But the love of God is incredible because God loves the world. And I don't buy into this one second that God only died for a select few. No. And that he died for all that they which live. Yeah, there are those who aren't going to live. But they, he died for all that they which live should not henceforth live to themselves. That's incredible. I can say with absolute confidence that God loves the world. That every person who has ever lived, ever is living, or ever will live. God has demonstrated love to them. That's incredible. That is incredible. God so loved the world. 1 John 2, if you look back in the ver verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is incredible. God loves the world. Paul said in Ephesians that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is that breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of God is incredible in its quantity but secondly the love of God is incredible in its quality. Look again at chapter 3 verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. God's love just doesn't love, I, I love the world, that's incredible in itself, but the love of God is incredible in the fact that it makes you and I, makes those who trust him, his sons. If I were a judge and there was a young person who lacked guidance, who in fact was an orphan and who was coming into my courtroom because of trouble, I could do something that no other judge could do at that time. I could forgive him, I could pardon him, and if he was an orphan, I could truly adopt him. Now, granted, I'm not a judge, and I don't have an orphan in my courtroom. But what God does is more than that. I couldn't, if I were the judge and I was adopting the orphan, I couldn't get inside and give him a new nature. I could give him my last name. He would eventually have access to my accounts. But I couldn't change him from the inside out. But here's what God did. When he said, I love you, he says, I'm going to make you my son. I'm going to change your nature from the inside out. That's love. And Peter tells us that he's made us partakers of the divine nature. We like to protect our name, don't we? I don't just call every kid I see in Walmart a Gellis, right? Because there's some standards here to being Gelluses, right, kids? They're like, Dad, please, you're embarrassing us. But there's standards to be in your family too, weren't there? And those of you who are raising kids or are raising kids, you, got some, you don't just put your last name on everybody. But God will if they choose to trust him. That's incredible love. It's incredible in its quantity. He loves the world. It's incredible in its quality that we should be the sons of God. This is astounding love that we can't even comprehend. And if we're not careful, friends, we'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? What's for lunch? Wonderful. I got things to do today. And we will miss the entirety of the fact that God loves me, God loves you. And here's John at the end of his life who's lived his life, who's seen the church birthed, who's been trying to be killed and exiled, and we believe this book is perhaps very, his very end, at the very end of his life. What great truth do you have, John? God is love. Wow. And if that captivated John's thinking, perhaps it should captivate ours a little bit more too. We should be called the sons of God. And what's incredible about this is the fact that God has always loved us, as we'll see. I don't fully get this, and I know that there's differences of opinion here. And I realize the gospel is, is amazing, but the fact that you go back, Ephesians 1, 4 says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And when you think about that our God is not bound by time, we are. You go back 10,000 years before creation, what do you have? You have a God who knows you and I and loves us. And that's incredible. The love of God is incredible. Secondly, the love of God is sacrificial. Look at chapter 3, verse 16. 
And notice what it says here. Hereby perceive or hereby know we the love of God or hereby understand we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We know that God loves us because he sacrificially gave. Love is not about getting, it's always about giving. And young people who say, I love you, I love you, give me your body. That's not love, that's lust. Love is an incredible act of selfless giving. And I'm always amazed about stories of those who sacrificially give. Some of you would know the name Dunkirk, the, the, the little French town in the channel where really God spared the Allied army, it would seem like, from invading Nazis in 39. And, and so many men sacrificed so much to get those men, that army, across back to safety. That's sacrifice. And you can read stories like that throughout history. But I think practically about men who oftentimes sacrifice their, 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 their lives to provide food for a family. And oftentimes it's a thankless job. They work sometimes several jobs or late night hours to, to put kids through school and do that. I think about moms specifically as well. They endure sacrifice. They sacrifice their bodies, their privacy, their everything, their sanity sometimes for these ungrateful little wretches called you and I to bring us into this world. That's sacrifice. But all that pales in comparison when you stop to think about what Jesus did for you and I and what the Father did in that. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's sacrifice. Christ died for us. And we who have been saved know the truth, especially here on a Tuesday night revival meeting. We who have been saved perhaps for years or decades, it's easy for us to, oh yeah, yeah, God loves me. God loves you and me. We can sing about it, we can talk about it, and we can even get moved sometimes, but do we really understand what it means that God loves us? The love of God is incredible. The love of God is sacrificial. The love of God, thirdly, is unconditional. Look at chapter 4 and look at verse 10. Here it is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the satisfaction for our sins. And notice verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. We didn't love him first. It's not as though we reciprocated or, or he, he reciprocated because we did. And it's not even as though God saw ahead of time, he knew that we would love him and he purposed to love us like, no. He loved you, period. And this is the amazing part about it. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about it. 2,000 years ago when Jesus was on the cross, did God know who you were? Yeah, absolutely. Did God know what you would do? Did God know the thoughts you would think that are completely against his nature? Did God know the words, the actions, the life you and I would live at times apart from him? Did he know all that? And he pulled Jesus off the cross. He said, oh, they're not worth it. Is that what he did? He knew you and I and still chose love. Aren't you thankful he did? You know what that tells me? That it's unconditional. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on my good days. Because I've already said this this week. You're glad I don't know you. And I'm glad you don't know me like I know me. But God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he still says, I love you. That, that's incredible. Don't ever let that go. John didn't. Here's a man who had operated fully, who had gone through horrific suffering, and yet still could, at the end of his life, could say, God is love. Little children, abide in the love of God. And that love, as we will see here, radically changed him from the inside out. Because, friends, God is love. It means it's unconditional. Yes, it's incredible. He loves the world. He makes us his son. It's sacrificial. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. But it's also unconditional. Romans 5, as many of you would know of this in verse 6, 
For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, he demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on in verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. God loved us when we were against him. God loved us before we even had a thought. He knew us and loved us. It tells me that the love of God is unconditional. There's people today that say, well, Brent, I don't, I don't know that God loves me. I don't, I don't think God loves me because, well, Brent, I know he can't because you don't know what I've done, but I know what I've done. I know what I've thought. I know what I've said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hold on, hold on, time out. God knew it all along. Before he even died, he knew it. And what did he choose? Love. That's incredible. And friends, don't ever miss out. Don't ever lose that. As believers, Paul said this in Philippians, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We know that nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know Romans 8? If you want victory in your life, if you want to be who God wants you to be, friend, I would challenge you to dwell in Romans 8 sometime. It's a life-changing chapter. And then after that, start spending time in John 14, 15, 16, 17. Those will change your life. But listen to Romans 8, 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can change that. The love of God is incredible. The love of God is sacrificial. The love of God is unconditional. Religion has it all wrong. Religion says, do this, try hard, be this, and God will love you. The gospel says, you are loved, period. Wow. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? It is. And God would have you and I, I'm convinced, revel in this love, think about this love, meditate on this love more than we do. So often we focus on what we can do and what we can accomplish, and we focus on being religious. And yet, as we saw last night from the older brother, he was missing it all. He was missing the love of his father. He was missing a relationship, and it was right there. The party was inside, and he was on the outside. Religion says do, and you'll be loved. The gospel says you are loved. Years ago, I was challenged to write a love letter. Now, my wife can attest to this, that I am not a very lovey-dovey person. I'm a guy. I try, but I am a male. I, I don't, like, express my love as much as I should to my wife and kids. I'll be honest, I don't. I'm not really in touch. I'm not really these, you know, I don't read poetry much. I, I, it's just not me. Can I get a witness here? It's, okay, okay. Yeah. I like diesel trucks and guns. Just being honest. Is that okay? Is that politically correct? Okay, yeah. But when I was challenged, this is probably seven, eight years ago, to write a love letter as if Jesus was writing to you. I was studying this passage out and thinking through some of these things, and God was working my heart. And I wrote this down several years ago, but you could put your own name here. This is what I wrote, but you can put your own name here. Dear Brent, put your own name here. And this is from God. This is from Jesus. I love you. I always have. I always will. You are completely secure in my hands as well as being in my Father's hands. You have the Spirit indwelling you, sealing you to unto that blessed day when your faith will be sight. It is my good pleasure to keep you safe and secure while I am living my perfect life through you. And one day... I will present you faultless before the throne of heaven. Every moment I am thinking and praying for you, longing for you to experience the relationship with me that will bring you complete satisfaction to meet your deepest desires and needs. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of my love, being absolutely certain not only of your eternal home with me, but also of my purposes and plans and working in you. I sacrificed on Calvary, so rest assured that I want to freely give all things that pertain to life and godliness. Brent, I want you to know that there's absolutely nothing, nothing 
nothing that can separate you from my love. My love for you is deeper than you can know, but I want you to just begin to understand at this side of eternity, and I want to show you for all of forever how much I truly love you. For now, just come and spend time with me every day. Open my book and find truth to change and guide you. Find promises to uphold you. But make sure every day you find me. As you find me, you will see that your frantic, stress-filled life will become rest and that all the enticements of the temporal will begin to lose their appeal. I want you to find the depth of my love for you. I love you, Brent. I always have, and I always will. Your best friend, Jesus. That's love. God's love is incredible. And as we study the love of God, it just is not one of these weak need concepts. And perhaps my aversion to the love of God as a young man and even as a young preacher is the fact that, well, you know, the love of God churches, those lovey-dovey churches, they just, they're compromisers. But yet we're going to see here as we pivot here, the, the second part of this message, we've seen what love is. But we're also going to see in 1 John what love does. Because love is not a weak need, nilly-willy concept. It's not this ethereal pie in the sky. It's not like this, oh, let's all just join hands and let's just feel the love of God. Oh, are you feeling the love of God? If I was that type of preacher, I don't think pastor would have me. I'm not, I, I wouldn't want to go to that type of service. Right? That gets a little weird because you open the door for a lot of weirdness. But yet, when we understand the word of God, we see that the love of God is actually one of the most motivational forces in life. Think about those of you who have a great family. What has changed you? Standards, rules. I have to confess it's love. Why do I do what I do with my wife? Well, because you made a commitment and you sang your name on this and you did this and because you're married. I love you, baby, and I have to because God said I need to. Boom. Pretty miserable marriage, wouldn't it not? But I'll tell you, why do you do what you do? Because of love. Look back with me at chapter 3, verse 1. We read this. And notice the logic here. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What does love do in our hearts and lives? I would submit to you, number one, it purifies us. No, 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 Brian, you, that's standard. So we got to have standard. Friend, I'll tell you the way I'm wired. It's the love of God that has kept me pure. It's the love of God that I've seen that has been pursuing me. It's the Father coming out of the party and saying, hey, Brent, that has motivated me to follow him in passion, in life. Notice the logic here. Verse 1, the love of God has made us his sons. And because we're his sons, verse number 2, we don't know what we're going to be, but we do know when he appears, we'll be like him. And he's coming again. We have the blessed hope. Because of love, we're his children. Because of children, we have the blessed hope. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Because of the blessed hope, because of the fact that I'm going to see Jesus in this body, one day I'm going to stand before him faultless. And because he's coming again. You know what that means? I say no to the world. I live a pure life. What? started that love love is a purifying force i've used this illustration before and this is even the illustration is even original with me but you know love is actually the most purifying force i, I don't remember much of what our pastor or former pastor said in our premarital counseling i i don't i honestly don't i know you guys have gone through it probably recently I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm gonna leave you guys out because you guys ruin illustrations. <laughs> but I don't remember much of what my pastor said, our former pastor said about about marriage or anything. But he did say this. He says, Brent, when you say I do, you're saying I don't to every other female out there. That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, we could we could make the argument that well, that's not very loving. Would it bother you if I came walking into church tonight holding another woman's hand? But, but I'm showing love. I'm showing love. And we love the brethren. 
Who would it bother the most? (laughs) Yeah, right there. Because I love her, I don't. Because of my love for Jesus and his love for me, I don't. And love has been one of the most malign concepts. Oh, we we just need to love them. I know they're living in sin. We just need to show the love of God. Yes, we should always show the love of God to them. But the love of God does not lead you and I to condone sin. It never has and never will. The love of God actually purifies us within. Because I love God, I don't watch. I don't look. I don't participate. I don't partake. I say, no. Well, that's a very legalistic. You're under a bunch of rules. No, I'm under love. I don't have any, I don't have any, doc, uh, I do sign doctrinal statements. I have the Bible as I sign, but I'm not under anybody's rules. I'm not under anybody in these, uh, well, you got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. I'm not under anybody's standards. I'm not. But the love of God constrains me. It moves me. It motivates me. It purifies me. And the love of God's incredibly purifying force. Ephesians 5 says this. Paul says in verse 2, and walk in love. Oh, there you go. We're supposed to all be lovey-dovey. Not supposed to bring up any ill or problems with people. We're just supposed to be love, 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 love. Well, no, listen up to the rest of the passage. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Ephesians 5, 3 says, But fornication, all uncleanness, and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather the giving of thanks. Wait a minute. We're, we're supposed to walk in love. Yeah. Loving God says no to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The love of God is the most purifying force in our lives. The fact that God loves you and me What that should be doing on a daily basis is helping us say, no, no, no. Because he loves me, I say no to this. Because he loves me, I say no to this garbage. One of my ministry friends said it this way. The boundary of biblical love is biblical light. Now what he's saying is biblical love is guided by biblical light. Some people say, oh, we just need to love everybody. And that's not biblical love. They're outside of biblical light then. Well, we need to have biblical light. Boom, no love. Well, that's not biblical light either because you're not showing biblical love. There's a delicate balance here, both light and love. He says this again, the boundary of biblical love is biblical light. Following the imperative of Ephesians 5, 2, walk in love comes the command to avoid and no way condone fornication and cleanness, covetousness, etc. In other words, love has boundaries and the boundaries are clear. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Love actually involves separation from darkness. As soon as love embraces darkness, it is no longer biblical love. We have a problem with these ministries and churches who say, well, no, we're not going to make a big stand. We're going we're to let anybody in. We're not going to follow. You know, that's a little antiquated. We don't have to follow that exactly. We're going to show love instead. That's not biblical love at all. Because biblical love is guided by biblical light. Love has to have light. Where do we find light? Thy word is what lights us up. But love is purifying. By its nature, the love that my wife has shown me and the love that I try to show her and what I want to do because I want her to, I want her to experience, I want her to be assured in that love, that changes me. It changes us as, 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 young, as young grooms, does it not? Those of us who got married, yeah, I think it changed me back a couple of years ago. It will change you too. And it's a great thing. It's an amazing thing. How much that love that you have for a spouse changes you. But why do you think it just stops and it's only on a human thing? The love that we experience from God is incredibly transformational. It's purifying. But it doesn't stop there. The love of God should purify, but secondly, it should motivate us to action. Look again at chapter 3 of 1 John and look with me at verse number 17. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? There's an interesting question. So there's this guy, a brother, who has the world's good. You've got the stuff, you've got the tools, you've got the provisions, you've got the wherewithal. And you see another brother who's got a need. So you've got the tools, you know how to fix it, you know what to do, you've got the, you've got the wherewithal to make the meal, you can, you can fix the situation, and you see a family, you see a brother, you see a sister who's got a need, and you shut up your bowels of compassion. We don't use bowels of compassion, 
But in the Eastern world, they would love you with something different than the heart. Wouldn't it be weird here in a few weeks on Valentine's Day to say to your spouse, Honey, I love you with all my small intestine. My gallbladder yearns for you. It's a little odd. But how is that any more odd than my blood pumping organ yearns for you? Right? How is that any different? My cardiac muscle. It's not. We just, in our cultures, typically, historically, the heart is the seat of our emotion. It's not, but that's where you put it. And it's not shaped like that or whatever these kids do these days with their hands on Instagram, whatever. It's not. But here, John says, and you shut up your bowels, you shut up your heart, you shut up your emotions. You say, oh, no, he's, he's got needs. I could, I could help him, but I'm not going to do it. Notice the question. How dwelleth the love of God in him? What's the answer? It doesn't. How is the love of God dwelling in you and if you and I aren't showing love to others? It's not dwelling in us. That's why he says in the next verse, verse number 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Let's not just love in word. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Well, I need some help. Jump in my, I'll, I'll pray for you. That's what James talks about too. How that, you know, there's this guy who comes in, he needs help. And you've got wherewithal and you say, oh, be you warmed and filled. I'll pray for you. Can faith help him out? Oh, have faith. God will help you. And you've got food in the refrigerator. You've got an extra vehicle in the driveway. You've got the tools. You've got the provision. You've got the ability. You just say, I'll pray for you. Have faith. How's the love of God dwelling in that? It's not. The love of God, when you and I understand it, what God has done for you and I, you know what it should do to us? It should motivate us to action. It should motivate us to get off our blessed assurance and do something for the cause of Christ. I was convicted recently. I was in El Salvador. I think I've mentioned that. I was in El Salvador right before, uh, right before Christmas. And it was, it was an amazing trip. It was with a different group I had never gone with. And I, I was working with a, in a kind of a different capacity. But it was a practically one of, the most, one of the best missions trips that I've ever been on to be able to show the love and share the love of God and use that to give the gospel. Historically, we have been good at preaching, poor at loving. Just making an observation. And the compromisers, the oftentimes the progressive, the liberals, in the name of social justice or gospel or whatever bent they're at, they're kind of better at loving, though it's not really love because they're not giving the gospel, and, and horrible at actually sharing truth because they don't have it. And here's the biblical balance. When you and I understand that God has shown us love, you know what that means we should be doing? We should be involved in sharing that love practically. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have really high standards. No. I'm for following Bible truth and holiness. By this shall all men love me, know, that, know that you're my disciples if you have this incredible church building that's really big and impressive. No. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. You know what the calling card, you know what this church should be known as in this community? Oh, that's a church that loves people. Yeah, they preach the truth. I didn't really like their message, but I can't argue with the fact that they do love people. And friends, we need to think of practical ways to show love personally through to our neighbors to help them out. We need to show love through our church to our community. No, that doesn't minimize the gospel. And sometimes in times past, well, you know, we don't want to be one of those churches because those are lovey-dovey churches. They don't have the gospel. No, you understand the gospel in its context. We should be showing love. The body of Christ should be known for its love. I was incredibly blessed, and I have been blessed many, many times. But the love that people have shown me and my family and my wife in providing and helping and guiding, especially during the pandemic when our whole life schedule got turned up on its end, and I'm looking up three, four months now where... Lord, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet, <laughs> but you do. But God provided in amazing ways during that time. And it was through God's people who showed love. And you know what that motivated me to do? I need to go get on that widow's roof. I need to go change your tires that are flat. I need, I need to go help that person out. I, I can go do that. I can help here. I can physically go get a shovel and take care of that. I, I, I won't may, ever make a meal for anybody. I promise you that. And all God's people said, amen. But I can, there's a lot that all of us have some sort of thing that we can and should be using. We have gifts that we should be using to show love in, within the body of Christ. 
And that love shouldn't just stop here. But yes, we should be showing love to those out. Because when they see our love, they should be asking, wow, that's not just religion. There's something real there. There's something different there. So the love of God should lead us to purity. It should lead us to action. But it also should lead us to boldness and assurance. Look with me at chapter 4. Look at verse number 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Whenever I hear the sto- the, read those verses, I'm reminded of the story I heard years ago. There was a Christian couple who were getting married, like these, and they were excited to get married, and they wanted on their wedding cake a specific verse. They wanted this verse, 1 John 4, 18, on their wedding cake. Well, they went to the baker, and the baker said, you want that verse? Okay, I'll put it on there. You, and they, they were like, you know where, 1 John 4, oh yeah, he wrote it down, 1 John 4, 18. But he didn't realize that there was a difference between 1 John and John. And so when they got to the wedding, what they had on their wedding cake was John 4.18, which says, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. I don't know if that actually happened. But I would love to be at that wedding, wouldn't you? <laughs> See the bride's face. That would be bad, bad, bad. Anyway. Now that you're with me again, look back what it says there in 1 John. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. One of the things that love does when we understand, when we dwell in the love of God, when we understand that he has incredible purpose for us, he has incredible plans for us, he is providentially guiding, moving, and we can rest in that. You know what that does? It gives us confidence. Do you remember back... Those of you who are married, this may be several decades. Those of you who are yet to be married, you remember back to when you first started liking each other. I'm going to go ahead and put you on the spot because you're right here. Do you remember, was it awkward when you first like expressed like, uh, 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 yeah, they're both smiling from ear to ear. And you know what? Everyone in the auditorium is too, right? Because we all love a good love story. That's human nature. We're, we're for you. Especially when you turn red like this, too. That's great. <laughs> but I remember our first conversation with my, this, this girl. I was in Florida. She's in Illinois. And we had flip phones back then. And some of you are like, ah, oh, we didn't have a phone back then. <laughs> I know, I know. But we had flip phones back then. I remember, hello, hello, uh, uh, yeah, Brent, Brent, my name. <laughs> and it was, it was awkward. And, you know, I don't know what I exactly said. I wish I almost, I wish we had that conversation because I, I would like to know you, get to know you better. Good. Yes, please. Oh, oh, can I call you more later, please? Okay, bye. Oh, that was bad. And some of you can attest to that. You know, there's, that, there's, there's, there's nervous jitters when you first are interested in your, the gal guys and, Gals, maybe it's the same way. I don't know. Never been a gal. Never will. But you know, but then as you get to know the person, you you get to find out, and you come to the realization, you know, within a matter of a couple weeks, months, hopefully not a couple years, I love this person, and then you get to trust them more and more, and you know that they have their back. And if you've got a wonderful marriage, it's a wonderful thing because you can, it, it's heaven on earth. It's an incredible union. It's wonderful when you, when, you, when you know they love you and you can share and you can trust and you can, then you finish each other's sentences. It's an amazing thing. And you can see these people who have been married for six decades, who that, that is their life together. There's no fear there. They trust each other. Sometimes a little bit too much, but they, they trust each other. And it's an amazing truth that, that perfect love casts out fear. It's a sad thing when one young person comes to a marriage and they've coming, they're coming from an abusive situation. I've seen this happen. Perhaps you have as well. And it takes some time for them to learn to trust their spouse in whatever capacity. Perhaps there was problems early on, abuse, whatever the case is. And they come and it takes some time. It takes some adjustment to learn to tr- can I try? Can I tr- but it's great when you finally get to the point with that special someone where you can let your hair down and you don't have to put on the show each time. You're secure in that. Well, that's what love does for you and I. 
There's no fear in love, verse 18, but perfect love casts out fear. And when you and I understand that God who spared not his only son, how shall he not give us freely all things? When we understand that, you know what that means I can do? I can hazard my life for the sake of the gospel. I can serve him without reservation. I can be an idiot for the cause of Christ. Because this world will, see, will think that I'm an idiot. I can live wholeheartedly into the, what I'm doing because God loves me. I don't need everybody else's approval. That's fear. Oh, I got to have this approval. I got to have this approval. You see the politicians do that. I believe this way. What do the polls say? Oh, I don't believe. I believe this way. You don't have to do that. He loves me. Period. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, I will not fear what men shall do unto me. <laughs> Bring it on. You can't threaten me with home. I'm going to send you to, I'm going to kill you, Paul. Bring it on. I'm going home. Because I understand that I'm dwelling in the love of God. It brings security. It brings assurance. He talked, John talks about that in the next chapter. We can have that absolute confidence. We can know that we know that we're on our way to heaven. This is not part of it. We're almost done. We're landing the plane here, friends. But if you don't know, friends, the answer to that is to dwell in the love of God. If you struggle with your assurance of salvation, if you go back and forth, well, I, I think I did. I think, go back and read the Bible and find out how much God loves you and what he did for you and what he says about you. Go to John 10 and how that Jesus keeps you, the Father keeps you. I and my Father are one. Read Titus 1, 2. Read 1 John 5, 11, 12, and 13. Read John 3, 36, 5, 24. Dwell in that. Read Romans 8 where the Spirit dwelt, beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. And you'll find that when you do that, you will let the love of God dwell in you. It will give you a boldness and assurance and confidence that the world cannot give. That's what love does. It purifies. i got to find my notes now because I forgot what I was doing. It purifies. It moves us to action. It leads us to boldness and assurance. Look again at chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Here, John gives us straight up words that if we don't love others, we're not letting the love of God dwell in us. Look back at chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. When you and I understand the love of God, we let the love of God be shed abroad and dwell in our hearts. You know what that makes us do? Love the really hard people in our life. All of us have them, don't we? The challenging individuals that, oh, we may be related to them. Oh, here we go again. Got to spend holidays with that person. Yippee skippy. And yet when you and I let the love of God dwell, wait a minute. Do you think you and I were something special when Jesus died for us on the cross? He loved us. And when we dwell on that, then we, as Paul said in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, we can let love be patient, love be kind, love be real. God wants you and I to love others. How is that possible? When you and I dwell in the love of God. Finally, the love of God leads us to obedience. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. And notice chapter 2, verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Oh, Brent, I really love Jesus. I really love Jesus. I'm not really interested in obeying his truth. No, 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 no. You don't love Jesus. Oh, Brent, I really love God. I just think some of these are a little bit constrictive. I, I just want to, I'm not really interested in doctrine. You don't love God. The love of God, when we understand it, leads us to obedience of the truth. It leads us back to biblical light and obeying what God has told us to do. And so you know what we find here? Love is incredible. Love is sacrificial. Love is unconditional. But what love does is absolutely amazing as well. It leads me to purity. It leads me to action. It leads me to boldness. It leads me to love the brothers. And it leads me to obedience. Isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Love is incredible. It's not this weak need Whip-topping concept of, oh, come on, let's all just feel the love of God tonight. Raise your hand if you want to feel the No. It's incredibly scriptural. It's incredibly transformational, deeper than we can even go into. 
It's incredibly huge. And when we understand and know the love of God, it doesn't lead us to abandon doctrine. It doesn't lead us to abandon truth. No, no, no. It leads us to obedience and boldness and confidence and action. The world gets turned upside down when we understand God loves me. Tonight's a different message. I haven't specifically hit on one sin or one action. But perhaps it is tonight that some of us just need to stop for a second and we just need to say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. We just need to stop and say, thank you for loving me. And Lord, help me to dwell in the incredible, unconditional, sacrificial, life-changing, transformational love of God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Let's all bow our head and close our eyes. Tonight, I have not spoken to this, but I got to ask, have you accepted that love? Some of you may be that religious person. You're still trying to earn love, and friend, you can't learn. You can go to every church in town, and you still can't earn it. How many say, Brent, I have trusted Jesus as my Savior. I have accepted that love. I, I am a born-again child of God. I'm going to heaven because Christ has taken my sin away. He took my sin debt. That's my testimony. That's my life. Christ died for me, and I know it. Would you lift your hand to that? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many say, Brent, tonight, God challenged? Just the concept of his love was incredibly challenging. It was motivational. The fact that it's incredible. He loves the world, and he makes us his son. It's, he's, he sacrificially died for me, and he loves me even when I'm unlovable. That again, those reminders again, God used my heart, my life to encourage, to, to speak, to challenge, to motivate me. Would you lift your hand to that? God spoke. Amen. How many say, Brent, God challenged, God convicted. I see in my life where the love of God needs to further purify me, where the love of God needs to further, further change me. And God tonight convicted me. I'm not in action. I'm, I'm content with the love of God, and God wants me to move into action. God wants me to enjoy the boldness, the assurance, the confidence. And sometimes I struggle with that. And I realize tonight I need to be, I can be bold and assured of his love for me. And I see that. God spoke to me. I need to love brothers. And I, I, I'm struggling with that. Or perhaps there's a matter of obedience. And I know that the love of God is leading me not away from obedience, but to obedience. God convicted me about a specific action in my life that's not there. A specific capacity that's not fully what it could be. And God spoke, God challenged, God convicted me tonight. Would you lift your hand to that? Again, like we have done the previous nights, the pianist is going to play a simple hymn of invitation. While she plays, would you respond, however it is that God wants you to? Father, work in our hearts. Help us to revel. Stand in awe. And be amazed at the incredible sacrificial, unconditional, life-changing love of God. We need you. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed, eyes closed, the piano's beginning. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken, you respond. Pianist is going to play through another verse.
this morning I read Proverbs chapter 16. I always read um, every day, and of course, being January, I'm reading Proverbs, and Proverbs 16 is for the 16th day. And Proverbs 16 says, By mercy and truth iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord men depart from evil. And it's just a reminder of that biblical truth that you just have to realize that's throughout the Bible, really, and that is mercy and truth have to go together. And for instance, last night he talked about the prodigal sons and the father and the idea that draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God is getting honest. Truth. He'll draw nigh to you is mercy. Truth and mercy go together. And we all love mercy. We all love being loved. We love the graciousness. But but if you can't have that without truth. And so you get honest and you get mercy. And we we have to understand that that's true love. And as a pastor, I always have to struggle with I can't I can't not tell them the truth. But I don't want to hurt them. But I can't not tell them the truth. I got to tell them the truth. And we are in a society today where if you tell truth, you're not loving. But that's a lie. They're lying to themselves, and they want to be lied to. And we have to recognize that God is love, and so he tells the truth. And if you'll love the truth, he'll love you. He'll, he'll have mercy on you. Because there is coming a day where the, the loving God who did love the world will have to judge much of the world because they rejected him. And so true love does cast out fear because it brings a confidence that he doesn't love me because I'm faking him out or that I'm tricking him. He loves me. He knows me and he still loves me. But as long as I'm honest with him and, and right with him, I draw nigh to him. He draws nigh to me. And that's, that's the mercy of God. And so it's a wonderful thing. It's a two-sided coin. And I was wondering, are we only going to hear one side of the coin tonight? No. The other side was preached too. And we need both sides. But human nature only likes one side. Human nature only wants the God is love and everything's wonderful and do what you want. That's not truth. That's not even God. There's got to be both sides. And we, if you love your neighbor, if you love your friends and your family, you gotta, you got you to gotta demonstrate the honesty too. Um, what happens when you're talking to someone about salvation and you don't want them to go to hell? but you don't want to offend them, so you just tell them that God loves them. But if they don't receive that, they're going to hell. That's the truth part. And, and if we avoid that and not, and not go over that, we're not giving them the whole story. We're not giving them the whole reason why they need to understand the love of God. And uh, we have to give the whole message, and we have to tell people uh, the truth like God tells us the truth. I love the Bible. I love the word of God because it's truth. And if we'll love his word, if we'll love him, we will keep his commandments because his commandments aren't grievous. They they might seem like it, but they're not. God is love. And uh, I was saying it last week. My children were told, you're going to get a whooping if you cross the highway. I'm going to give you the biggest spanking of your life. And the young people I was telling that to looked at me at the juvenile center like I was the meanest dad they ever saw until they realized that, no, I love them, and I don't want them to get hit by a car, and I'd much rather give them a good spanking than them get hit by a car. And when you realize that God loves us more than we can love our children, and he gives us spankings because he loves us. Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and we need that. We need him to love us like that. And thank, I'm thankful for God loving me the way I need to be loved. And, um, and then there are times when I don't need chastening. I just need him to be affirming. And he does that too. And I'm so thankful for that. Thankful for the love of God. And uh, you wouldn't be here tonight and you wouldn't have any interest in the things of God if it wasn't for the love of God. Because we only love him because he first loved us. And that's so true, isn't it? Nobody here started loving God first. He loved you first. And praise God for his great love. Now, let's take it to the world. And let's share it with those around us. 
And uh, someone asked me a question the other night, and I said, well, actually, probably that's not what you should do. or that." You and they said, thank you for being honest. And uh, I was grateful that that was their attitude. We have to tell people the truth if we love them. And I hope you love one another, and I hope you love God for loving you without being dishonest towards you. Let's close in prayer tonight, and we'll see you tomorrow. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for mercy. Help us to realize we have to have both sides, our families, our children, our spouses, our neighbors, our coworkers, this world need to see that you are a loving and merciful God, but you are a God who requires truth. We have to be honest before you, not perfection, but truth, honesty. And that truth and mercy goes together, and by it, iniquity is purged. Help us to teach that and to learn it ourselves and then teach it to the world around us that you are a just and holy God but you love the world and gave your son to provide the mercy if we'll just be honest with you we ask this in Jesus name